The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Raised in poverty by heroin addicts, pregnant at 15 and homeless, Katrina O'Sullivan had all the odds stacked against her. Her new memoir, Poor, tells the story of how she turned her life around, becoming an award-winning academic and exploring the barriers to education. And Katrina O'Sullivan is with me in studio. Katrina, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Thanks so much for having me. I've rarely read a book like this. I read it in one sitting and if you were told this is fiction, you'd find it hard to believe. I know. And it's fact. It is fact, yeah. It is um it is I suppose a roller coaster of a of a story and for people I suppose who might not have lived through what I've lived through it would seem it is quite rare and I do say that I am coming from a, a very abject poverty which is, you know, it's not the same as everybody's experience of poverty but it's abject. It's abject. I mean you describe vividly uh, going into school and you're dirty. Yeah, so unfortunately that's still happening today. Um, there was a report this morning, 13% of children are living in abject poverty still today. But yeah, I, I grew up in a house where there was no parents, really. There were drug addicts. And so I used to wet the bed and roll out of bed and get dressed, not wash, not brush my teeth and head into school. I was the little kid who had knits and nobody really wanted to play with, yeah. which is really sad. But then an intervention by a teacher and and all the way through your story, there have been small interventions, sometimes just a chance encounter. But in this case, quite a deliberate intervention by a teacher who really got you. Yeah, so I was really privileged to have had some fantastic teachers along the way. And I can't say enough for the impact that teachers can have on a child if they place care ahead of everything else. Miss Arkinson was this wonderful Irish teacher. I was in the UK and she she actually connected me on that level originally. So, you know, you're, oh, we're Irish together. and But um, obviously I wasn't washing and I was clearly dirty and neglected and she could see this and she could see the impact it was having on my relationships with other children so this particular day she and the nursery assistant took me into the little bathroom and they had a little bag a little wash bag and a fresh towel and a and a flannel and she pulled out five pairs of underwear and she says look we're just going to teach you how to wash yourself so I was taught how to wash by my nursery school teacher and she had this little bag there. So I used to arrive to school early, pop into nursery. Even when I moved out of nursery, I used to pop in and and change and wash in there. And that was really empowering for me and also shaming. And she didn't shame me, but to know that she knew was hard because... Meantime, back in your house, your home uh, where you lived, I mean, your parents would be out of it a lot of the time. Yeah, so my parents were, were great people. As well, you know, they were fun, vivacious, but poverty is intergenerational and addiction is as well. And it's very difficult to change that. And I grew up in a home where both my parents were heroin addicts, which is quite rare. Usually it's one, but I had two. So my earliest memories are, are watching my mum put needles in her arms or and my dad and finding him overdosed. And you can imagine that's a really scary place to be. And despite the fact that they tried the best they could, it was a really traumatic experience. In your book and at various stages you address, you know, do I love my mother? Does my mother love me? Does my father love Mm. me? Do I love my father? I think you conclude eventually, yes, that there was that mutual love and, uh, and uh, wanting to do well by their children. But 
they loved their addictions more than they loved their children. I think the addiction isn't a choice. It's one of the only mental illnesses that we actually moralize over and we point to people as if they've got their, you know, they've made a, a bad choice. And addiction sometimes is much more complicated than that. And obviously as a little child, a seven-year-old girl, all I wanted was to be loved by my mother and fed and nourished. Yeah. And so that little girl obviously feels and felt I just deserve to be loved. But as an adult and being able to heal and reflect and learn about addiction, I've been able to actually, I suppose, rejig the way I felt and, and develop an understanding. Like my dad was in Golden Bridge here in Ireland. We know what happened there. He was there for his first five years. He had no start. My mom came from an abusive home and, as and well. And the fact that he did have an opportunity to go to university, but uh, chose to go to, to England instead. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you believe that was conditioned by the, those first five years? Well, we know. Or was it just his personality that he wanted to get out there? I think it was both. My dad was this vivacious character. He, you know, he was always going to be a character. He was always going to be out there. I, we do know that the early years are so pivotal um, for development. So I do think that his life was, you know, our life is set generally from the first five years. And for me, even to be where I am today is miraculous to have escaped yeah. my first five years. Uh, and so it's almost impossible to, to, to heal fully from that. So I think his destiny was set. Obviously he made choices, but we often make small choices, not big choices. Now, the, the milieu in which you grew up, I mean, there, there was nothing, there was poverty, any money there was, was going on feeding uh, the habits, all sorts of ne'er-do-wells coming into the house. Yeah, there was so much. Yeah, it was just terrifying. So like when you grow up like I did, which is extreme poverty, there's so much fear and so many strangers hanging around the house, which and the reason I wrote about this in my book is because poverty has so many tentacles. It just isn't about money. It's about the risks that it puts people at, the risks that it puts children at. So not just in terms of development, but also abuse, mental health difficulties, um, education dropout. There's all these things that are actually at the core of poverty. And uh, at one point, uh, someone who's kind of an uncle-like figure then abuses you. Yeah. And how old were you then? Uh, I was seven. And I, I'm just mindful for the listeners, you know, that, that it, it's a really traumatic thing to talk about and have been through. And it's not something that I have spoken about openly. I do write about it in the book. But the only reason I write about it in the book is because I want people to understand that they've nothing to be ashamed of. One in four adults in Ireland have been through this and actually people who grow in poverty are more likely to experience abuse so it's the reason why I spoke about this. Now, you ended up pregnant at 15. Yes. Now, as if you didn't have enough to to cope with. Yeah, I, I think, you know, girls like me who grow up like me, your destiny is pretty set um, quite young and the expectation that I of me from the education system and from the people in my community or beyond my community was maximum that I'd finished school and I didn't even do that. I got pregnant at 15 and ended up homeless and in a, in a, in a mother and baby hostel. And the idea that even the summit of your ambition in school for your teachers would have been for you to get GCSEs. That was the limit. There would be no yeah. A-levels. A- sa- no, it's the same here. Like uh, success for girls like me is finishing the Leaving Cert. Um, the reality was like I was a bright kid. Like I read young. I had loads of potential. But unfortunately, with what was going on at home and also the expectation within the system, I was unable to flourish. 
again another intervention and Mr Pickering oh yeah he was wonderful so this <laughs> tell me uh, how he influenced your life oh, Mr. He, yeah. several layers of influence several layers where well, he was my secondary school teacher and Mr Pickering actually one of the pivotal things that he did is he actually told me his personal story which is very rare in education we don't really know where our teachers come from but he told me he was a uh, dropout he went he worked in the mines and he went back to education and I suppose he connected with me on that front but then he also challenged me to be a good student there was one incident particularly where my dad and my mom never came to parent teacher meeting and one evening um the door knocked and it was him i was 14 and i thought i was in trouble immediately because i was always in trouble in school and he said is your dad there and i stood behind the door and i heard him say to my dad's Mr. O'Sullivan, you should be ashamed of yourself for not supporting your daughter. She's really talented. And like moments like that, comments like that, they live on and teachers might not always see the impact they have, but eventually that impact lasted longer than than that moment. Now, now because um, your father's people were uh, still living in Clontarf, very settled, organised people who'd taken him in actually from Golden Bridge. So that was a refuge to which you fled Yes. Um, And it led, I suppose, to the beginning of some sort of transformation, although not a smooth, no. uh, a very rocky one, I have to well, say. Well, recovery isn't smooth. Like, yeah. it's the, this isn't a rags to riches tale. I wanted to really showcase that it's very hard to recover and it, you, you can fall down and get back up again. And my dad was actually the, the villain, I suppose, of my childhood, but turned into the hero of my adulthood. He got recovery and he moved back to Clontarf and he welcomed me and my son into his home. And that was the start for me then of actually seeing that maybe you can change your life. And luckily, I lived in Dublin one, then I moved into Summerhill. And luckily, we're in the Celtic Tiger. There was loads of money in Ireland and there was loads of funding then for girls like me to maybe escape poverty. I got free counselling. I did a a community education programme. So I took these small steps to begin to find my way, I suppose, into Trinity College. Now, uh, you were working in various jobs uh, and you came across... Uh, quote unquote the poshies oh, yeah. in Trinity College explain <laughs> well uh, you know the the reality is that like I grew up very different and you do have a chip on your shoulder my experience with people who would come from more affluent backgrounds would have been judgments from teachers, policemen, guards, ambulance men and so and teachers so that is inherent and there's a fear there in me and then when I went to Trinity College I definitely realise that there's this massive difference in opportunity between kids like me and kids who generally go to Trinity and not that I begrudge that I would have loved to have that background but we can't expect children to be doing performing exactly the same way if there's this stark difference between their experiences I mean one little anecdote where a a class is asked you know what are the challenges of childhood Mm. and this girl can't really think well I I know. So one of our lecturers actually said it was a risk and resilience class. She said, I want you to write down all the risks that you've had and the resilience factors. And I'm like listing because I could think of hundreds. And a girl <laughs> yeah, sitting next to me. Parents, yes. uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> teenage <laughs> pregnancy, homelessness. And a girl looks at me real innocently and um, she said, I can't think of any. And I envied her in that moment. And But also understa- understood how she was there. She hadn't got half the things that I had had got and so I really I really realised like them moments teach you there's a massive difference between those who go to Trinity and those who don't and uh, all the while I mean you were doing jobs as well as everything yeah. else uh, cleaning jobs I was a cleaner in Connolly Station so like I was on my lone parent book I used to roll out of bed at six in the morning head down to Connolly Station for two hours to clean it was a horrible I hated the job to be honest I'm not I'm not great at cleaning my own house let alone cleaning the train station I was also 
also the dinner lady in the Institute of Education, which was another... I didn't even know what the Institute was back then. Okay, fast forward. You're in Trinity now as a student and some of the kids from the Institute <laughs> are attending themselves. Yeah, so I was in first year. One of the first person people that I meet in Trinity is one of the girls that I served sausage rolls to in the Institute and she was shocked to see me there and she was like, oh my God, like, we, we, I can't believe you're here and I just was really shocked and embarrassed and I just said, oh yeah, dinner ladies have brains too because I didn't know how to respond. She wasn't being mean but she just actually couldn't fathom that someone who'd served her was now sitting next to her in class. Yeah. Now the the idea that you become the best student in class and you were obviously you were a very good student, but not without its hiccups. I mean, you tried to not do the exam. Oh, yeah. So obviously, like, so one of the important lessons that I, I hope that people get from my book is like, it's not easy to change. And there's a part, there's, there's parts of me that are used to failure. And sometimes that drives me beyond what I'm conscious of. And so I got right to the end of the Trinity Access programs and went on an absolute bender and was like, I'm not going to do this. This is not for me. And luckily for me, Irina Boydal, this wonderful woman who ran the program, she turned up at my door. Another intervention, another yeah. person who believed in me and said, you will sit them exams. Now, the d exams are two days away. You've been on the bender for five days. Yes, exactly. You're not in great shape. No, but I still got through and I still got the offer of my place in, in psychology, which was I was so delighted about. Obviously, then I had a few months to kind of rejig myself and get more focused about going to college. But it taught me a lesson, you know, when you're like me, a person like me, you have to, your recovery and, and I suppose your recovery has to be central to your life rather than peripheral. And college kind of took over at that point. So I learned a lesson. Now, if there was any kind of quibble I had with the, the, the suggestion that poverty is everything, I felt maybe it was a bit unfair to parents who don't become addicted, who don't become um, alcoholics, who work hard, who save every penny to get their children through. Uh, so, yeah. Like, it's not inevitably going to be a disaster if you come from a poor area. No, definitely not. And and like my 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 story is is the extreme of poverty, but also speaks directly to the education system and how we offer fairness. There definitely are people who grow up, grow up financially poor who do really well in life. But Poverty isn't about finances, it's about opportunity. And there's a whole um, community of people who are currently in Ireland, in the UK, who are not provided with opportunities, whether they have money or not. The opportunity is the problem. And you can't really do what you can't see. No. If you've no role models, very hard to become something you don't understand. So most people I know who actually grew up financially poor in their home and do well, had a family member, had someone pushing them, driving, knew the value of education. Mm. I never met anybody who went to university as a child. I never had anyone to, to, to tell me that I could be anything different than what I was. There's a, a kind of a whimsical speculation at one point where you think if my dad had not gone to England, if he'd stayed and gone to Trinity College, yeah. as many of his contemporaries would you know what would I be but you wouldn't be because he'd never have met your mother <laughs> no I wouldn't be here so. and to be honest Pat I'm really privileged to have lived the poor life that I have now I feel really privileged to have been able to go through what I've been through because in my work life I bring a unique experience it's really important to remember that empowering poor people is not charity it's about actually enhancing and uh, skills and allowing us to flourish and contribute to society and like my poverty has allowed me to contribute massively to policy to education and so I feel really privileged and the uh, there's a, another moment where you know you have to throw off your old background when a woman comes into the classroom where you're preparing 
the class? Yeah, so one of the issues when I went to Trinity, like Trinity was amazing. I'm so grateful for the education I got. But actually, like I'm quite different to your usual Trinity students. And so I found myself, especially in my PhD, trying to like dress like everybody else and speak like everybody else. And then as it came to the end, when I was lecturing, I was like, no, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to wear my ripped jeans. I'm going to have me hoops in. I'm going to wear me fake tan. I was in the lecture theater preparing for a class and I was moving around chairs and one of the students came in and said, excuse me, there's a lecturer on here now. She's, she assumed I was the cleaner and I was like I am the lecturer and this woman kind of looked me in the face now she wasn't embarrassed she was actually like oh sorry about that and just went to sit down so yeah it's 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 just one of them moments where you realise it's very difficult to be yourself Now Trinity and their access programme it's, it's a great programme that allows people to get an opportunity but it has changed and you make a, a commentary on that towards the end of the book that maybe someone like you would not be able to knock on the door in Weston Row as you did, meet someone like Arena. Yeah. Who held your hand really for that, yeah. those crucial moments. In the growth of programmes like the Trinity Access Programme, the Maynooth Access Programme, all the other, it, sometimes when we have standards, we, we bring in these standards, we lose the personal touch. And it's not just that I couldn't walk over there. The Susie Grant is not available the way it was. I wouldn't get the childcare support that I got. I was on the rental accommodation scheme. I would have lost that if I'd have gone to university. All of these systems were in place to, to, to support me to progress through university. And they're all gone. So while you know, it's great that TAP is there. We can do so much more to ensure that girls like me can flourish and contribute in a positive way. The book is absolutely brilliant. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is, as far as I'm concerned, the book of the year. Thank you, Pat. Absolutely. It's brilliant. Uh, Katrina O'Sullivan, the book is called Poor. You'll see it in all good bookshops. And Katrina, thank you very much for joining us on the programme. Thank you. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.